0: We are Hope Church, Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. So I just want to invite Dub to come up and I'm just gonna ask Dub a few questions. So we've got a new series over the next three three weeks. Dub, you're very welcome to join us. I'm just gonna ask you a few questions, yes. Very welcome. Um, so, Dub, do you want to just tell us uh, quickly where, where you're from?
1: Um, I live in Woking, um, in, well, in Napp on the edge of Woking, and I'm part of Welcome
0: Church. I've been there for just over seven years. Great. And tell us something you'd like to do in your spare time. Oh, um, uh,
1: football, golf, um, and sometimes hang out with the kids
0: as well. <laughs> Yeah, i got to give them a little bit of time. Um, and you're going to come and talk to us about this book, Loving People Towards Jesus. And I wonder if there's anyone here who thinks, hey, Dub, you know, you're clearly, you've got a gift for this, but evangelism, that's not really my thing. I mean, you might want to sort of, I might be sort of, this might be what you're covering in your talk, but is there one quick thing you'd like to say to those people? Um, uh, well, if you're thinking
1: that, you've done well to assume that after you've heard me speak for two short sentences. But um, I am... Um, I think my encouragement to you as I begin today and as we do these next three weeks is just to be really open because I think that we've all got lots of preconceptions and this is really what I'm going to cover mainly today. We've got all sorts of preconceptions about what evangelism is and I think the preconceptions can be really unhelpful and can put us off. My encouragement is just to really listen over these next three weeks because I I really think God's going to inspire you and encourage you that... um, Uh, He's got something really
0: exciting for you
1: in this area of helping people counter Jesus.
0: That's really exciting. Dub, let let me pray for you and I'll hand over. Father, thank you for Dub. Thank you for um, what you've helped him to bring to us and prepare for this morning. Pray that you speak to him. Help us to hear more of your heart for each of us to share what it means to love people towards Jesus. Open our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Great. And just to underline um, what Stuart said earlier on, the books at the back um, are free for you. So I don't think he mentioned the fact that they are free. Um, so um, please do grab one. If, you, if, if today does you even a little bit of good, grab a book because it will tell you a lot more. I just encourage you to do that. So. I'll tell you a little bit more about myself, first of all. We've got a picture, I believe. I'm not going to look behind me. I'm just going to assume that the slides are are tracking as we go. Uh, You might see a picture of me and my family on the screen there. Um, My wife is called Tanya. Um, She still looks um, the age of when I first met her, which was when she was 16, I was 17. She still looks about that age, and I clearly don't. We met in the college library. I'll let you work out which one was which. One of us was bunking a lesson and the other one was doing their homework. I'll let you work that one out. Um, So we've got three kids, Abby, who's 11, uh, Will, who's, it was me bunking a lesson, just in case you're wondering, Um, Will, who's nine, and uh, Ethan, who is five. And they're just, I just absolutely love them to pieces. Abby's really like her mum. She's, she's wise, she just understands how life works. she's thoughtful, she's aware of other people, she's generous, she's really like her mum. And the boys are really like their dad. Just going to pause, just because you can like, work out the gaps. Um, the, the boys are um, they're erratic, they're chaotic. Um, they bring destruction wherever they go. Um, and uh, the picture you see on the screen there, that was from a couple of years ago. The reason I've used an older picture is because that's the last time that all of us as a family look smart. Um, because of the three boys in the family, me included. In fact, just this Friday, as we are all having dinner together, we were, I was just laughing at how Ethan went to school with a white T-shirt and came home with a grey one. So my boys are um, a little bit like me. Um... I'm the outreach pastor at Welcome Church. Um, I worked in the golf industry for about 17 years. And then um, I'd felt for a few years as though God had a plan for me to work full-time for a church. Um, And there's a guy called Malcolm Kays. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, He's just over there. Um, He invited me to have breakfast with him at his house one morning and asked me to come and work full-time for what was then called the Coin Church. Um, And... I'd learned a lot in business about how to negotiate and stuff like that, but there was a really interesting conversation uh, with Malcolm, where in a heartbeat, I felt this is God's plan for me. So we agreed there and then that I would come and work for the church. We didn't discuss salary. We didn't discuss role. We didn't discuss starting uh, times or anything like that. I just felt it was God's plan and, and it, it's been brilliant. So I've been there just over seven years now. Um, And I'm the outreach pastor, so I oversee all things that are outward-facing for the church. Helping the church connect to the community, helping the community connect into the church. Anything in that area of church life I oversee, and I love it. I just love it. Um, One of the greatest joys for me in life is seeing people come to faith in Jesus. And um, my own personal story of becoming a Christian, um, I was dragged up in a Christian home. Um, so I was brought up in a Christian home um, I had to go to church every Sunday without fail that was the rules, that was the deal and when you're 16 you can make your own decisions but until then you come to church um, and my, uh, my bedroom wall was a little bit like a prison wall you know you count down the years and you just like chalk off I only got six years and three months and two weeks and four days to go till I don't have to go to church um, and as soon as I was 16 I didn't go to church for years and years And years and years and years. And I was um, just about to turn 25 when I next went to church. Um, And I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't interested in God. I thought God and Christianity was there to steal my fun. uh, And so I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And when I was 24, coming up 25, I encountered God's love in a way that I wasn't looking for, wasn't expecting. And it just changed me in a heartbeat, just completely completely. So I went from Christianity is so boring to God loves me and Jesus died for me. And wow, my whole life has just changed. So I became a Christian really quickly. Um, and, and really quickly from thinking I'm going to work in the golf industry, I co-owned a business. And I thought, this is my future. This is my career. This is my pension. I started thinking, I just feel like I want to give my life to this message of Jesus. So I, um, it was quite a few years later, actually, that Malcolm asked me to come and work for what was the coin church. Um, and just knew that was God's plan for me. Um, we're going to cover three things across these three weeks just to sort of set the scene. Today we're going to look at evangelism, the scariest word in Christianity uh, and we're just going to discover, uh, we're going to just, just to dwell on that a little bit about why is it so scary, what is it that we uh, that turns our stomachs about evangelism, what are our experiences we've had around it And consider whether we can perhaps lay some of them down and maybe God's got a different way for us. And the name of my book and the name of this three-part series really would hint towards where we're heading uh, away from the word evangelism and and to to a different way, which is called loving people towards Jesus. So we're going to look today at the scary side of evangelism. Um, Next week we're going to look at what loving people towards Jesus looks like. Um, And then part three, in two weeks time, we're going to look at the intentionality we can have about how we can just bring people into Jesus's presence. Uh, That's the plan over these three weeks. Hey, if you're not a Christian here today, then um, I think this will still do you good as you reflect on some of the awkward attempts Christians have had at trying to evangelise you. I think you'll smile a little bit today as you recognise some of them. And so I'm going to start with one of my stories I was a salesman a sales director who become a Christian and honestly I thought this and I actually said this out loud you'll be shocked at this I thought God's got a good one here that's what I thought I thought God's got a good one. I'm a sharp shooting salesman I could sell golf clubs to anyone I choose and now I'm a Christian I'm going to sell Jesus to everyone God's got a good one here. I'm going to be the 21st century answer to Billy Graham. It's going to be amazing. And um, I set about the task of dub changing the world by selling Jesus. And um, I had 10 years worth of trying incredibly hard to sell Jesus to people. And over that 10 years, I had so many conversations about Jesus. I made so many invites to church and to Alpha. I tried so hard And I saw two people come to faith in Jesus who then walked away from their faith and nothing else. And it was so disheartening. Let me just share one of my stories. There's a picture coming up on the screen of Natalie and Will. They were friends of mine and Tanya. And so Tanya and I agreed, let's invite them around. This is pre-kids. We're inviting them around for Saturday night for dinner. Uh, We had a lovely meal went into the living room afterwards uh, with our drinks, at which point I pulled out my preach, which is quite a normal thing to do on a Saturday night when you're inviting people for dinner, isn't it? No, no it's not. I'd been reading a book called The Shock of Your Life by Adrian Holloway. And I was uh, in it. It talks about ha- the, the regret that someone who's recently died had about not sharing their faith with people who were going to go to hell as a result. And I was, I was like, I've got to tell them. So I prepared a, an after dinner preach is what I prepared. Um, and so as they were settling down, ready to have a chat or, or whatever, play a game or have a bit of fun. Um, I said, oh, I've written you a letter. Will and Natalie. Can I read it to you? They looked a bit confused. I don't know why. Isn't that a normal thing to do on a Saturday night after dinner? And so um, uh, they were, oh, okay. So I started to read them my mini preach about how Jesus came to earth and died for them, about how Jesus died for their sins, about how he's risen again, and about how you need to repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, pray a prayer, because you never know you might die soon. (laughs) Now... (laughs) What I was saying was all, is, is true, and yet, for some reason, it, it was a bit of an awkward moment. I couldn't understand, why is this so awkward? Um, Tanya was sort of looking like, like, shuffling around, looking at her shoes, looking really awkward. Natalie and we were looking at the window, thinking, should we jump? Now, it was the ground floor, they would have been okay. Um, and as I finished my preach and offered to pray with them... Um, Will said to me something really interesting. He said, Dub, thanks so much for what you've shared. Um, It's just not something we're interested in, I'm afraid. But just to reassure you, if we were interested, then we would have definitely been interested. Now, which is is just really funny because it made no sense. But it was his ever so kind way of trying to just sort of cover over the horrendously awkward moment I had created in the room. That was one example of Dub trying to do evangelism. And there might be people here thinking, yeah, I've done something a little bit like that. Probably nowhere near as awkward, but maybe something a bit like that. Or you might be here going, that sort of thing has been done to me. And that's why I hate the word evangelism. Um, I would call that the hot potato method of evangelism. I've got this truth about Jesus and I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you now. You've got to know now. And it doesn't matter who you're talking to or what context you're in or whether they're ready to hear the message. I've just got to tell you now. It's the hot potato method. There you go. You've just got to chuck it in your direction. Um, And there's lots of hot potato methods of evangelism. You might be able to think of some yourselves. I would say that in our culture, in 21st century post-Christian Britain, I would say soapbox preaching can regularly be received as a hot potato, awkward method of evangelism. Now, this is something that uh, we've got within commission, our family of churches. We've got a new church plant in Ghana and the leader of that church, he goes on a bus, he stands up and he preaches. And people come to faith in Jesus as he preaches. So just to say, some things are contextual. Some things are relevant in some countries, not relevant in others. Some things are relevant in certain times in a country and are not relevant in others. So it's, it's contextual, okay? But Soapbox Preaching, I would say, in 21st century Britain, can regularly be received by people as a hot potato, awkward method of evangelism. And i share one um, that um, our church did several years ago. It was my first um, Christmas at the Queen Church and we had an outreach event in the town square in Woking. Um, someone else was leading it and they'd arranged the plan Um, I was going to be involved there was probably a hundred people from the church who were going to be involved in this and the plan was someone's going to stand and preach and then there's going to be maybe 80 people singing some worship songs then another preach then some more worship songs then another preach and then some more worship songs and after two hours we'll finish um And I thought I am just too scared, like even like Hot Potato Dub, I'm too scared to do the standing there preaching and I know I can't sing and so um, I won't be part of either of those, I'll give out leaflets because we want to invite people to our carol service. And so I stood there to give out leaflets. I positioned myself in a really busy part of the town right next to the doors from the shopping centre. So people are going to come out in their droves and I'm going to give everyone my 200 leaflets that I picked up. I'll be done in 15 minutes. I'm going to get some more. And what I noticed was really, really interesting. People would come out of the shopping centre and hear the guy preaching or see the singers singing. And a look of horror would come upon their face. And it was like, oh, what is going on? And as you try and give a leaflet out, you just saw people look shocked and start running in the other direction. Now, I'm a little bit sporty, but I would not have been able to keep up with them at the pace they were running in the opposite direction. And what was really interesting is, I think our attempts to... Uh, To invite people to our cows, our attempts to share the message of Jesus, I felt like it was having the opposite effect on people in our culture, in our town. After two hours, I still had 197 of my leaflets, which, and I think one of them had blown away out of my hand, so maybe I'd give them to So it was just really interesting. After that event, Malcolm uh, asked me if I'd like to oversee the outreach events in the town, which I was really grateful for. And we just started doing different things, just being aware of how are people receiving us? How can we meet people where they're at in a way that's going to help draw them closer rather than push them away? So the hot potato school of thought. People need to know. That's true. It's of eternal significance. That's also true. Jesus has sent us Again, that is true. And if you check out Jesus' Great Commission, which is probably on the screen, the last three verses of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus laid out his big mission, which was central to to all of his church, to every Christian. And it's this. Um, Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here we go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' great commission absolutely is for every single church and every single Christian. Now many of us would wish it wasn't, hey? I won't ask you to put your hands up, but if you think, "Oh, secretly, I wish he didn't say go and make disciples. Just, just inside, just imagine you putting your hand up right now. And I'm imagining 90% of the hands going up, by the way. Um, it's something that just inherently we go, oh, it's too difficult, I don't want to do it. And I think some of that is down to the way that we have, we have done evangelism. People, pushy salesmen Christians like I was, would have put lots of people off and different ways of doing evangelism would have put people off so that we're thinking you know what if that's what sharing Jesus with others is like I'm out we can think of the the fact that we're now in post-Christian 21st century Britain and we can see how people are just literally they're not queuing up to say, can you tell me about Jesus? How many people this week have have had someone come up to them who's not a Christian out of the blue and say, I really want to follow Jesus. Can you tell me how I can do that? That's just not really happening these days in post-Christian Britain. So people's starting point is just a different place. And so the hot potato method can really put us off. And I think we can feel really ill-equipped to do it. But I think we can also think, I just don't want to do it. If that's what sharing Jesus is like, I just don't want to do it. Evangelism has become such a scary word. And so the very opposite of the hot potato method of evangelism would be the no potato method of evangelism. Just going to pretend that Jesus never said it. No, no. Uh, And those weeks where someone like Dub stands up to preach, if only I'd known I'd have gone shopping instead. I wouldn't have turned up because I don't want to hear it. I just want to pretend that I just want to do the other parts of church life. I I want to go to church on a Sunday. I want to be part of a small group. I want to serve. I want to give. I want to put my Sunday smile on and I want to try not to swear. All the really important parts of being a Christian. Um, We can think, that's what I want to do. And I just want to ignore the fact that Jesus said, go and make uh, make potatoes. (laughs) Um, Was that a Freudian slip? I don't know. There we go. Let's keep going. Um, We can come up with all sorts of reasons why we're not going to share Jesus with others. I wonder if any of these ring true for you. Firstly, I don't know enough evangelism is for experts, it's for professionals, it's for theologians. What if someone asks me a question I just don't know the answer to? I don't know enough. What about this one? I'm not outgoing enough. What was that saying? Evangelism is for extroverts. It's for people who love meeting strangers. It's for people who love standing on soapboxes or sharing their faith or singing hymns down the shopping aisles. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not pushy. It's for Christian salespeople. I'm not pushy. What about this one? It's awkward. <laughs> I'm not going to share my faith because it's awkward. I'm no soapbox preacher and I wouldn't want to be. What about this one? No one's interested. No one's going to be interested. No one wants to know. We're just a little group that just meets on our own on a Sunday and maybe in a little group in a, in a house. No one's going to be interested. The rest of the world have got other things they'd rather do. They're not going to be interested. What about this one? It's too much pressure. I can't even save a Word document properly, let alone save a soul. Do you think that? Um, it would be a lot of pressure if it was on our shoulders, wouldn't it? It's too much pressure. I can't take that. What about this one? People will think I'm weird. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of reaction to that one. Um, like sharing your faith, it's just weird. Weird people do it. Weird extroverts who love to make people feel awkward. It's, that's, they're the ones who do it. And I'm just not weird. I don't want to be weird. So I'm just not going to do it. So what do we do? Are, are there only two answers to Jesus' call to go and make disciples? Is the first one the hot potato, weird, pushy, pressurised, um, extrovert behaviour? And the other one is we just ignore that he said it. Are they the only two ways that we can respond to Jesus saying, go and make disciples? Is there another way? Is there another way that should shape what evangelism looks like? Are there other words that we can use instead of the word evangelism that can help sum up better what evangelism can and should look like? And is there a different way that could lead to people in my life and your life Coming to faith in Jesus. Is there a way? Is there a way that that can happen where also I don't look like an absolute nutter? Is there a way? In order to think about how evangelism should feel, I think it's really good to look at some of Jesus' words. We're going to look at three parables he told in Luke chapter 15. He told a hat trick of parables, one after the other, after the other, to underline a really big point. And the point was this, he wants us to know God's heart for lost, distant, messy people. So he told three parables, one after the other, after the other. The first one, Luke 15 verses 1 to 7, is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, the context at the beginning of Luke 15, um, it says this, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious rulers, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that's the beginning of Luke chapter 15, which then stirred Jesus to say, I'm going to share some parables with you so you can hear the heart of God about lost people so Jesus told them the first parable suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost sheep I tell you That in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. How does God feel about people who are lost and messy and distant from him? He treats them like that lost sheep that might be stuck in a ditch somewhere might be filthy and stuck, might have even damaged or broken a leg. It's just, it's useless. It's been rebellious. It's not listened. It's not followed the shepherd. Jesus wants us to know that what God is like towards lost people is like that shepherd who gives up everything, who risks everything, who sacrifices everything to go and find the one. And Jesus, also in the Gospels, if you're a Christian, you know this, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He wants us to know that is what he personally is like towards distant people far from God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek. He didn't come to say, I'm going to stand there and it's up to you. Come to me if you like. And if you do, there's a telling off for you. I'm going to scold you, help you to know how bad you are, help you to feel guilty, and then I might reluctantly forgive you. No, no, no. He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And then he shares this parable of the lost sheep and the shepherd giving up everything to find his lost sheep. And then you can see the joy of heaven as he says, just like this shepherd throws a party to celebrate, he says this, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, if you're a Christian here, I think it'll be, it'll do you good to know this and be reminded of this. When you placed your faith in Jesus, heaven wasn't indifferent. (laughs) God wasn't Annoyed with you, but thought he'd forgive you anyway. He threw a party in heaven. That's not a metaphor. That's not just like, I'm just going to create this image about something that didn't really happen. No, literally, he threw a party in heaven. Such was his joy, his delight, that you had returned back to him because Jesus had brought you back. He threw a party for you. And I think there'll be people here today who, it will do you good, to just reflect on that. Wow, you think what of me? I think I love you so much that I threw threw a party when you came back to me. Isn't that absolutely incredible? And so as we think about people in and around our lives who may seem distant and lost from God, perhaps we can picture them as the lost sheep and just get a little sense of God's heart for them, not angry and wagging his finger, but the Son of God saying, I'm going to seek and search and save them because I love them. The passionate heart of Jesus, who says, I love them too. Just like you, if you're a Christian, have tasted the goodness of the love of God, he wants you to know that he has that love for people around you too. Isn't that incredible? Jesus told a second parable, just in case we didn't get the first one. Uh, the next three verses, verses 8 to 10. A woman loses one of her 10 coins, searches her whole house until she finds it. And then she throws a party in her joy to celebrate. And again, Jesus said this, rejoice with me. Uh, She said, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. And Jesus said, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He doesn't want us to miss it, so he doesn't just tell us one parable. The second one, do you get it again? There's a party, there's a party, there's delight in the heart of God. There's celebration in heaven. And it wouldn't have been just a little quiet, calm thing in the corner while they did the important stuff over here. I think the whole of heaven would have been caught up with. There's another party. Is there another one come to faith? Another one's come back to God. Oh God, you're growing your family. You're bringing more people in. Another one. Another one. Yes, let's celebrate. I could just picture this party in heaven of just great joy amongst the angels because of God who loves people is bringing people into his family and is just transforming lives for eternity. That's the second parable. Jesus thought, you might not have got it yet. You might not have got it. Let me just tell you one more just to make sure. So he told the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, sometimes called the parable of the lost son. The son says to his dad, I'm not interested, dad. I'm done with you. I just want my inheritance, thanks. He takes his inheritance, goes off to a distant land, spends it on wild living, squanders all his money, effectively saying, I wish you were dead dad I'm not interested leaves him spends all the money he's then, then as a Jewish boy he's then feeding pigs the most lowly job you can imagine and it, then Jesus then as he tells his par- the parable he says he came to his senses and he thinks even the servants in my father's house eat better than I do maybe I could go back and say and just apologise father I've, I've sinned against you and against God, can I just be a servant in your house? And you just see this guilt-ridden, shame-filled guy who's blown it all. And you can just picture him trudging back, the weight of the world on his shoulders. He might not even accept me. He might say, you're dead to me, son. He might just not want to borrow of me, but I'm just going to risk it because he might let me in. Just as a servant, just as a servant, he might let me in. And that's the son and then Jesus paints a picture of the father far from going, yeah, he's dead to me. You almost get this sense in the parable of the father on his veranda out the front of his house every day. Will my son come home today? I, I wish my son would return to me today. Will it be today? No, not today. He's not come back. What about today? No, he's not. Come, what about Today. Every day You can picture him every day because it says, Jesus, he told the parable, he said, while the son was a long way off, his father saw him. Now you don't see him a long way off unless you're searching for him, unless you're looking for him. That is the father who's just going, I just want my son back. And then he sees him. While he was a long way off, the father saw him. And he ran to his son. And his son's getting ready to say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I've blown it all. I deserve nothing from you. Can I just be a servant? And the son starts to apologise, and as he's trying to apologise, his voice is getting muffled because he's, the, the, the hug's so tight from the dad. He's going, "Dad, I'm trying to apologise. There's no time for that, son. There's no time." And he's going, "But I've I've sinned. No, forget that, son. You're back with me, and you just couldn't sense this embrace that's sort of squeezing the air out of the son. The, the father's so delighted. My son's back, and he says, "Quick, put the robe around his shoulders. Put the." family signet ring on his finger put sandals on his feet all of those things are saying restore him to the position he had restore him back into my family and he says to his servants quick kill the fatted calf we are going to throw a party to celebrate are you catching the heart of God for lost messy people including you and me who seem far from him the God that throws a party in the presence of angels. The, the God who's, who leaves everything to go and find that one lost sheep. The God who is so delighted when his son returns. What happens? Party. 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 Celebration. He, the heart of God towards you and me is just quite extraordinary. And he wants you just to catch it for yourself, for yourself, first of all. And then secondly, he wants you to catch it for other people as well. So how would you describe God's heart towards lost people? full of love it's full of compassion it's full of mercy it's so ready to forgive so ready to restore and so as we think about that scary word evangelism it's so important that we put it in the context of God's heart for people love would be the word wouldn't it that sums it all up. God's heart for you, for me, for lost people. And so as we consider Jesus's great commission to grow and make, to go and make disciples, the only way we can ever fulfill it ever is through his great commandment to love. It's the only way. <laughs> There's no other way. So anything that's done, not in love, that's not how we fulfill Jesus' great commission its only ever through Jesus' great commandment to love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Love is the only way that we can ever begin to share Jesus with people. In fact, it's the only way that we're called to do anything at all. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's really quite stark as you look at, there's a list of super, super duper spiritual things that Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, talks about that we can do as Christians, and he says, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, if you prophesy and can fathom all mysteries, if you have faith to move mountains, if you give all you have to the poor, if you even surrender your body to the flames, if you die for the sake of the gospel, if you can do any of those things, yet have not love, it is nothing. But It's nothing. You're like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. Anything and everything we do must be marked by love, including sharing Jesus with other people. Back to my story. I was a hardworking pushy Christian salesman for 10 years um, and was having no success whatsoever and I was really frustrated because I was supposed to be transforming the world by saving people and I remember praying a prayer after about 10 years of being a Christian God I can't do it I can't save anyone and I just sensed God's response to me just a sense of God saying I'm glad you've worked that one out now son would you do it my way now please and The problem was, Jesus was the product I was trying to sell and the people around me were potential customers. And I thought it was on my shoulders to make the sale. And that's quite a heavy weight to carry, isn't it? I need to save people. I've realised that the responsibility of saving people is not something Jesus ever gives any of us. In Psalm 3 verse 8, um, we're reminded, salvation belongs to the Lord. So Dub was trying to play God. What? Yeah, I was trying to save people. No, that's not my job. That's not your job. What does that mean? The pressure is off our shoulders. <sighs> Let's breathe a sigh of relief. You and I don't need to save anyone. Jesus did not want to put that burden on us. Salvation belongs to him alone. And we don't need to be experts. We don't need to have all the answers. Two of the very best um, let's say evangelistic um, sentences that I see in the Gospels, it's the same three words uttered by two different people uh, to, to people around them. Philip had met Jesus and was just transformed by him and he rushed off to meet his friend Nathaniel and he said three words to him, come and see. And the Samar- that's in John chapter 1. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman who Jesus met at the well in John chapter 4, had an incredible conversation with him where he, through the conversation, revealed who he was, the the Messiah, rushed back to her village and simply said, come and see. Wow, so saving people is not on my shoulders. I don't need to be an expert. And come and see is enough. Maybe I can do that. Maybe we can all... that and we see with the um, Samaritan woman we read that many Samaritans came to meet Jesus and came to faith in him why because salvation belongs to him and as people encounter Jesus that's where people are changed and so your role and my role is not to save people but to help them come into Jesus' presence to help them encounter him and we'll look at that a lot more next week and the week after we're not going to be able to get into everything today so helping people to come to faith in Jesus isn't about forcing them to do something isn't about guilting them isn't about shaming them or pressuring them or arguing against them or condemning them instead I believe the way God is calling us all to draw people to him is by loving people towards Jesus he's the Savior. And he's absolutely wonderful. And by the way, he's good at saving. If you and I think no one's ever going to be interested, there are a reported 2.4 billion people in the world today who are professed to be followers of Jesus. 2.4 billion people following a guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Most of his disciples had scarpered. A few of the faithful women were still there. Uh, and John, one of his disciples, was still there. Everyone else seems to have scarped. And you look at it and go, wow, how's it going? Jesus is good at saving people. Salvation belongs to him. Our role is to love people towards him. And I personally have found it just such, I believe that's just a, a little phrase God has given me, has given us to help us reframe that scary word of evangelism. I think we can just lay down that high bar, scary prospect of evangelism and instead start to embrace something that would feel completely different, which is loving people towards Jesus. And ultimately, if you are a Christian, can I just ask you a question just for you to, to think about? If you're a Christian who's encountered Jesus, what would you most want for the people in your life? Is it that they have a good job? Is it that they have the rich pleasure of a friendship with you for the rest of their life? If you and I stop at at anything short of I desire Jesus to be in their life, then we've missed something because what he's done for us, surely it's, it's changed us, hasn't it? Hasn't it changed your heart? Hasn't it changed you from the inside out? How grateful you are. You're you're getting up early on a Sunday morning to come and sing songs to Jesus. He's he's done something that's changed you. And surely what we want for the people in our lives is for them to encounter him too. A relationship with me is not my ultimate ambition for my friends. (laughs) It's a relationship with him that begins on this earth and goes on into eternity. As we draw part one of loving people towards Jesus to a close. Let's have a little think just to sum up at what loving people towards Jesus, firstly what it isn't, just to, just to sum up. It isn't for professionals. Loving people towards Jesus is not for Bible experts. If you're a Bible expert, you can love people towards Jesus. If you're not a Bible expert, you can as well. Loving people towards Jesus isn't, for people who feel like they've got the, all the answers. It's not for know-it-alls. Loving people towards Jesus is not a recruitment drive. And it's not something that's just assigned to extroverts. Loving people towards Jesus is not a heavy weight of pressure. We're not the ones who are called to save people, just to love people towards the saviour. Salvation belongs to him. So there's no pressure on your shoulders and mine. It's all on his and that's how he wants it. So what is loving people towards Jesus? It is for every Christian. And what I've noticed as I've shared this message uh, in, in my church at Welcome Church when we sort of first launched this book back last autumn, I had quite a few people saying to me, things like this, I've given up on evangelism years ago or I've decided... For a long time now, I'm never going to share my faith. Things around that. But today I've realised I can love people towards Jesus. I believe it's for every Christian. I believe it's a really... I think God really wants to empower us in something different. In loving people, which we're called to do. But to have a focus, a direction for our love, which we'll cover in later sessions, of, of towards him, so that people can encounter him. So it is for every Christian. I also really believe in my whole heart it's something that every Christian would love doing. (laughs) It's so different to the dub old school method of pushy salesman evangelism. Loving people towards Jesus is about leading with love in everything we do. And to be able to qualify to be able to love people towards Jesus, the qualifying bar is simply this that you're a Christian who loves Jesus and loves other people and just desires that they come to know him. That's the qualifying bar. It's not a high bar of evangelism, of soapbox preaching. It is a bar that's low enough for all of us, if we choose to, to say, I can do that. I think Jesus really wants to empower us into this. Because as you and I love people towards Jesus... I believe we will see fruit of lives transformed all around us because we're bringing them to Jesus, the Saviour. And it's my greatest joy seeing people around me come to faith in him. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share eight or nine stories of different people I've seen come to faith in him over the last couple of years uh, because I think it will just really stir your heart. My, My heart leaps as I see people encounter Jesus. It brings tears to my eyes as I see his work in their lives. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And it's something that I believe he's got for all of us. The greatest joy of seeing people come to faith in him. I think we're now going to just have time with a couple of worship songs, if the band can come up. And as they do, just want to remind you about the heart of God for lost people. Jesus telling the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd giving up everything to go and seek and save the one. That's the heart of God that you and I are living in the good of if you're a Christian. If you're not yet a Christian, he would want you to know that's his heart for you too. He's come to seek you out. You being here is not an accident. I think you've experienced something as we've looked at the parables of Jesus of the heart of God for you. And he wants us to invite you in to receive his forgiveness and to come into his family. We're going to sing a song that really sort of reflects on Jesus' parable of the lost sheep.
0: Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.